have everyone out this morning. As we strive to come together in one place, as the Lord has commanded to worship Him in spirit and in truth. This morning, we're going to start a series on 1 Peter. Um, I went in there just looking for a couple of verses so I could do a three-point sermon, but when I got in there, I was like, there's just too much, too much goodness, and as many times as I get stuck in a chapter, I just do the whole chapter. And so uh, this will be a series, more than likely we will not get through of what I've prepared this morning, all of it. I don't know if we'll continue uh, our study on it next week. I have thought of maybe going a different direction for next week, but I'm going to talk to Jimmy about that. So uh, after I speak to him, we'll either be doing the second part or we'll be going in a different direction just for next week. But it, it is truly good to have everyone out uh, this morning, and I, I hope that this lesson will be beneficial to us all, us all being Christians. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and so verse 1 tells us who penned the epistle. Uh, it tells us that it was Peter, but it's not any Peter. No, it's the, the same Peter selected as an apostle by our Lord. But notice he's writing it to the strangers. And so I was like, well, who are these strangers that Peter are referring to? Is he referring to uh, Jews, Gentiles, or all Christians? And so perhaps he's writing it to the Jews. See, because in First uh, Peter first 1, it says that these strangers are scattered throughout Pontus, and then we notice places like Asia. In Acts chapter 2, verse 5, on the day of Pentecost, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And so we know that Jews... Uh, were scattered throughout all nations. In Acts chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, Perithians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia, in Pontus, that's one of our locations, in Asia, one of our locations, uh, Phibria and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome. Well, who were the strangers at Rome? It would be Jews and proselytes. And so here we can see Jews were clearly found in many Gentile nations. Jews living in Rome were considered strangers. That word strangers in this passage in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 10 uh, it means to reside in a foreign country. And so these Jews were not, uh, they were not uh, citizens, perhaps, of Rome. As Paul said that he was a citizen and had received his citizenship freely in Rome. But perhaps it's the Gentiles. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, when Paul is writing to the church there in Ephesus, that Gentile, uh, mostly Gentile congregation, that at the time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, 
having no hope and without God in the world. Uh, Gentiles were considered aliens or strangers, however, that was before they obeyed the gospel of Christ because it says at the time ye were without Christ. That word stranger there means foreign, uh, literally an alien. Uh, being alien, that phrase there means to be a non-participant. And so they were not Israelites. They were, therefore, they were not, they were non-participants to the promises of God before they were, uh, in the times they were without Christ. And so Gentiles were considered strangers before they obeyed the, uh, the gospel. But then how about Christians? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, again, this word strangers. If we go and look up the Greek word for the strangers here, we'll notice it means a pilgrim. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, that great chapter of those men and women of faith, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were what? Strangers and pilgrims on the earth. A Christian's home is not on earth. We are just, we are just pilgrims here sojourning until our time is up or the Lord returns. Uh, we are to be the seed of who? Abraham. It was not Abraham a sojourner. But when we studied the book of Genesis, we just noticed how uh, Abraham never really called any place home. He just sojourned the whole time that he was in the land of Canaan. And so this epistle was written to all Christians living in these areas. Verse 2, Peter writes, Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling, sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. And so this is the passage that, that Ben uh, read for us this morning. And this passage right here is so very important to us. The word of let solidifies the letter being written to all Christians. The elect from the Greek word means the chosen. Matthew chapter 22, verse 14, Jesus says, For many are called, but few are chosen. See, there's some in the denominational world that believes that there's just a certain amount of people that will be saved. Uh, they, they, there's some out there that say there's only going to be 144,000 people saved. And so there's nothing that you can do for salvation. But Jesus says that many will be called, but few are chosen. In the parable of the wedding feast, the king invited those bidden first. That was the Jews. And then he invited those who would be found in the highways, the Gentiles. Because many are called, but few are chosen because they don't respond to the invitation. What is the invitation? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 through the sanctification of the Spirit. It begins with the sanctification of the Spirit. That's how you are 
are called. That word sanctification means purification. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, what the verse we'll see later in this chapter, seeing you have purified your souls, purified, sanctified, in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto an unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister to things which are now reported on you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look unto. And so here we can see that these Christians that are living in this, these other areas, well, they were, they were preached the gospel. And through the Holy Spirit aided these men that preached the gospel to these Christians. In John chapter 17, verse 17, when Jesus is, is praying that great prayer of unity, Jesus says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. And so the word of God, the truth, the gospel is what sanctifies us, purifies us. Remember, the elect is called. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, when Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Well, how did he choose us? Through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by what? Our gospel. To the attaining of the God glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so clearly Paul is saying the chosen are the ones called by the gospel. Is it just by faith and belief? Because he says in belief of the truth. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2 from our text. Unto what? obedience it is an obedient faith Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 that's the very thing that Jesus was trying to teach on the Sermon on the Mount therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine the gospel and doeth them obeys them I will liken unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock it's an obedient faith it's just like those men and women in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. It was an obedient faith. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, raised up that night to take his son because he could see that God had made him the, the seed of promise. And he knew that even if he took his life, that God had the power to raise his son back up because he was what? The seed of promise. It's an obedient faith. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, uh, when Jesus gave the great commission, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
Jesus says to call all of humanity to sanctification through his gospel. In Mark chapter 16, verse 16, And he that believeth the truth and is baptized, obeys it, shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And so those that have that obedient faith to the gospel will be saved. What does baptism do for the unsaved? In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, uh, when we read of Paul's conversion, And now I terrorist thou, arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What washes away our sins? Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, John writes, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us, from our sins in his own blood. Well, notice what happens after obedience in our, in our uh, text. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. People say, oh, baptism doesn't matter. Baptism's right there in our text. It just doesn't say be baptized. The only way you'll come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ is through obedience to his gospel of being baptized for the remission of sins. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, notice what also he says, grace and peace. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, when Paul is writing to the young preacher Timothy, he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in what? The grace, where is it found? That is in Christ Jesus. God's grace is in Christ Jesus. Guess how one gets into Christ? Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, when Paul's writing to the churches in the region of Galatia, for as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have, been put, have put on Christ. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How does our faith justify us? In Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, when Paul's writing to the church at Rome, much more than being now justified by what? His blood. We shall be saved from the wrath through him, for if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of the Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. As sinners... We were the enemies of God. However, after obedience to the gospel, we came in contact with the blood of Christ, and we are no longer sinners, but are now the elect, God's chosen people. First Peter chapter 1, verse 2, but notice what grace and peace, it says it's being multiplied to us. God has abundant grace and abundant peace towards us. Christians. Sin is what made us an enemy of God. Does the Christian have to live sinlessly perfect? 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, John writes, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. God doesn't God knows that man cannot live sinlessly perfect. 
If we try to say that we are sinlessly perfect, then God says we are a liar. For a liar, we are of the father, the devil. And so God knows man will have moments of weakness. God knows man will sin. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sins. The blood of Christ continues cleansing us so we remain at peace with God. God's extending that abundant grace towards us. God condemns a Christian, however, from habitually sinning. There's many in our world today that believes one saved, always saved, but God says, oh, no, 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 if you go back in the world, you're lost. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, when Paul's writing to the church at Rome, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What, are you doing God this great favor that, that he has all this grace and that you're allowing him to bestow that grace upon you? That was the mindset of the Christians there in Rome. They thought that they could live in sin and God's abundant grace would still save them. But notice what Paul answers his question with. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Key word is living. You're living in a sin. When did they become dead to sin? Romans chapter 6 verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Verse 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that old man of sin, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should what? Not serve sin. We should not live in sin any longer. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, when Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be ye not deceived. God's grace will not continue to cover you if you live in these sins. What kind of sins? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. He wars them to not to be deceived and thinking he can go back to being any of these and inherit the kingdom of God. Well, how do I know about uh, the brethren there at Corinth going back into these sins? Verse 11. And such were some of you. But you are washed, baptized. You are sanctified by the gospel. And you are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Sanctified by the gospel, baptized in the water, and justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, when Paul's writing to the church there at Rome, but God be thanked that ye were past tense the servants of sin. We are no longer to be the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed obedience from the heart 
that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. And so it's not saying, uh, it says a form of doctrine. Well, what was the form of doctrine? It's baptism. At baptism, we became servants of righteousness because we became that new creatures. That is why repentance is included in the invitation call. We must have that change, uh, change of heart that produces that change of life. It'll be much easier for us to, to repent of those sins before baptism than to try to live them afterwards and then to try to let go. But as Paul said, he buffeted himself daily. It's a, a continuous work. Repentance never ends in this lifetime. Because why? Because God knows that man is weak. But God has allowed a way for the weakness of man to be overcome if we go to him in prayer, ask for forgiveness, and truly repent of those sins which we are entangled with. We must do the works of righteousness and not the works of the flesh. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says it this way, Therefore we are buried with him by uh, baptism in the death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead of the glory of the Father, even so we should also what? Walk in newness of life. That should be our way of life, that righteousness, newness of life. If Remember, we walk in the light as he is in the light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And so we must walk according to the word of God, not after the works of the flesh. If we walk in the newness of life, then God's grace and peace is multiplied towards us because our sins are being constantly washed away. We are The one thing that makes us an enemy of God is being cleansed by the blood of Christ so that we are at peace with God. Verse 3, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In addition to abundant grace and peace, God has abundant mercy towards his elect. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so God's mercy keeps us from getting what we deserve. What do we deserve because of our past life? We deserve spiritual death. But His grace gives us something we didn't earn. Eternal life is nothing that we can ever say we earn. We can't go to heaven and say, I've earned it. That's unmerited favor. That's what God's grace is. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 Peter says, begotten us. Begotten us. James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, James writes, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from who? The Father of lights comes from our Heavenly Father, which whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, of His own will. Begot He us with the word of truth, that he should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so God begot us with his word, and we are born of water. John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, 
Except the man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Well, that's through that sanctification of the Spirit. It's through the gospel. It's by hearing the gospel being proclaimed and knowing that we must be born again of water. So, to put this in context, and, and uh, Brethren wrote it in a, in a um, Seek the Old Path article uh, several months ago. And uh, he, he did a great job with it. And I'm, I'm not going to do as well of a, a job with it. But uh, we can look at the birth of Joseph. I mean, Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, and Jacob begot Joseph. And so when you read in Matthew's account, you'll always see uh, such and such begot, such and such begot. Well, it's always the father. The father begot. The husband of Mary, whom was born of Jesus, who is Christ, called Christ. And so here we can see that Mary was the one who bore Jesus. God begot Jesus, and Jesus was born of Mary. Jesus being his only begotten son. Uh, through the, the Holy Spirit, uh, that um, miraculous conception. But it's the gospel that begets us, the word of God. That's how the Father begets us now, and we are born of water. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. But notice it says he's begotten us again. Begotten us again. See, at one time we were children of God. This tells us that we were. In Romans chapter 7, verse 9, Paul says, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And so when Paul was a babe, a child, he was safe and alive spiritually. He was a child of God. That's why these people that proclaim that um, there will be uh, unborn babies of uh, the span of, of like this in hell, fire, they're wrong. That's innocent blood. They've never sinned against God. Remember, that's what makes you an enemy is when you sin against God, a baby cannot sin. And so a child, he was safe and alive spiritually when Paul was a child, a baby. However, when he became at the age of accountability, when he learned right from wrong, he became spiritually dead when he sinned against God's law. Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, when Paul's writing to the church of Colossae, buried with him in baptism, Wherein also you are risen with him through the faith and the operation of God who has raised him from the dead and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh has he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. And so here we can see that we are made alive with Christ. We were spiritually dead but he has made us alive again. Peter goes on to say a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christians have a living hope. Our hope is in the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 12 
Paul writing to the church of Corinth, Now if Christ be preached that he is raised from the dead, how say some of you among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? And so there was brethren in the church of Corinth that said there's no resurrection of the dead. But we're preaching the gospel that Jesus rose from the dead. And so there was some teaching contrary to the resurrection. They were false teachers. And so if, if there was any Sadducees that had obeyed the gospel, you could see where this could easily uh, get introduced into the church there at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? If then Christ couldn't resurrect if there's no resurrection of the dead. Verse 14 says, And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. And your faith is also in vain. Because our hope, our faith is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I preached to you what was delivered unto me. That Jesus died on the cross, was buried those three days, and he rose up from that tomb. And so it would all be a, a big lie. What we would be teaching and preaching would be a big lie. We would have no hope. Verse 17. Paul's going to put it in a little better uh, perspective for him. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and ye are yet in your sin. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Peter writes, The light figure wherein to even be baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but an answer of a good conscience towards God. Well, how do we have that good, that good conscience? It's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If God didn't raise Jesus, then God didn't save you by water, meaning you still have that every sin you've ever committed. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 29. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? If Christ is not resurrected, that is, he is still dead, then when, why are we being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? We're being baptized into his death. And he never resurrected that new man. And uh, uh, we would never resurrect the new man out of the baptism water as he resurrected from the grave. Paul says in verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. It's that lively hope is the reason why we're not miserable. If this is all we had to look forward to, we are most miserable. But we look towards that home in heaven. We look forward to that resurrection. So this morning, if you are not a, a, a Christian, we have offered that invitation to you because it's by the invitation of his gospel that you can choose to be one of the chosen one that is the elect. It starts by hearing the word of God. We've, we've read that this morning that you have to be sanctified by the spirit. The Holy Spirit gave us the, the words of the Bible through those inspired men. And so it's through his gospel that we must 
uh, build our faith. Hebrews, uh, I mean Romans 10, 17. So that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Our faith is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. That's why those signs, all the miracles that Jesus did in, in, the, in the, the accounts of the Gospels were written so that we may believe that He truly was the Son of God. When He did them on earth, that was the purpose of His miracles, was to prove that He was the Son of God. And the words that He, per he preached was truth. And so we don't need miracles today because we have the uh, full revealed Word of God in our hands. Then once we have that faith, we will see that our way of life is not aligning with His way of life. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh on the Father but by me. We must do it by the will of God. We must be, do it by the words of Jesus Christ. Because it's the words of Jesus Christ that's going to judge us one day. John chapter 12, verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words have one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same will judge him in the last day. And so we must have that faith and we must turn our life and be in accordance with it. And then we must confess him before men, just as the Ethiopian you did in Acts chapter 8, verse 37, is the confession made unto salvation in Romans 9 and 10. And then we must allow someone to immerse us in water so that we come in contact with the blood, <laughs> Revelation 1, 10, uh, 1 5, to have our sins washed away, Acts 22, 16. And then at that time, you are the elect. You are added to the Lord's church, which he purchased with his own blood, Acts 2, 47. Um, and I don't want to mess up the other, Acts 20, verse 30, I think. Acts 20, verse 28. My apologies. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers to feed the church of God which he had purchased with his own blood. Jesus died for all of mankind, but the only ones that come in benefits with the blood, with the mercy of God, with the peace of God, with the grace of God are those that obey it. And so you obey it, and then you are in that blood-bought institution that he bought with his own blood. And then we are told that we must live faithful until death, Revelation 2.10. We have seen in the book of Romans how we cannot live in sin and be pleasing to God even after obedience to the gospel. And so if there is perhaps a Christian that has erred along the way, you have found yourself living in sin, then you can ask for sins on, on behalf by the church um, so that you will be back in that covenant relationship with God. If you have not brought reproach upon the church and it's a private sin, then you can go to God at any hour and ask for forgiveness of the sins. And we know that He is just and faithful to forgive us because we are walk, trying and striving to walk in the light and we are being cleansed continually by that blood of Jesus Christ. If we can help you in either way, if you'll come to the front <coughs> together, we stand and sing the song of encouragement.